Hello, hello everybody. How are you doing, Jean-Louis? I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? Yes, I'm doing very well. I'm really excited to have you here on on, a, on the new normal. Um, we're very, 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 very pleased that you could join us today. So, um, Jean-Louis, um, let's talk a little bit about um, you as a member of the Brenningmeer family. It's a very entrepreneurial family. Um, is the, the the founders of CNA, uh, the CNA clothing retailer. Um, it's a family that's very much involved in philanthropy. Um, we've been looking into the Porticus Initiative, which uh, kind of centralizes all those initiatives, all, all that philanthropy. Um, you yourself, obviously, have lived a very international life so far. How do you look back on your, on your childhood, on, on, on your journey so far? Well, it's interesting. Um, so I was born in the UK uh, and just outside of London and went to school until I was 15 mm -hmm. in the UK. Um, and then um, at the end of that one year, uh, my parent, my father and my mother sat us down in the, in the living room, all six of us, and told us that we were going to move to Germany. And... Right. Uh, and uh, that was in itself a huge shock because of, um, probably most, most notably because of language. Um, none of us could speak German. Um, only my father could speak German. And so I was actually taking Spanish uh, at school as a second language uh, or third language because French was mandatory, but uh, uh, Spanish. And so I switched over to, from Spanish to German, to the German class. And um, uh, the Spanish class, there were two classes of roughly 25 students in each. And in the uh, German class, there were five, five students. Oh, wow. That was it. Um, and I was one of the five. <laughs> <laughs> and we spent uh, a whole, basically six months just, just getting understanding the grammar, the grammar infrastructure. Um, uh, but why, why am I telling you this? Because um, when we did move to Germany, it was the, probably the biggest contrast you could imagine from uh, culture-wise, school-wise, language-wise. Um, I can imagine. Everything. So um, uh, my mother, we were six. We were all home by one o'clock for lunch, um, which my mother didn't. Oh, my gosh, now I have to cook and feed my six children. Uh, whereas in England, they would you would come home at four o'clock or five o'clock, depending. And uh, I was at boarding school, and at that time, now we were all in the day school. And then I joined the uh, the family business. I applied to to join the family uh, training program. Um, spent a year in the Netherlands in uh, in the stores. Um, that's when I really start really learned Dutch in the. In, in in a more professional way um, took Dutch lessons uh, every uh, once a week so I was able to write uh, it correctly um, and then um, I was uh, being Dutch having a Dutch passport uh, back in 1980 you were drafted for the military service uh, so you went for um, uh, screening to see whether you were suitable I, I was um, Vergoed uh, ongeschikt. That's what was written on the piece of paper because. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, I had to go back for um, asthma tests 
Um, mm-hmm. So I was, uh, um, yeah, for school, I was, didn't have to go. Um, but I had two cousins who I started in that first year together, and one of them went into the uh, cavalry. Um, that's what they call it still, um, although it's tanks. Um, so he became a, uh, an officer in the tank. Um, and the other went to the Marines, so the Dutch Marines, um, elite Marine group. And so mm-hmm. uh, they went to, that's what they did. I went, moved down to Brussels and worked in, in Belgium for a year. Um, mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, well, the Netherlands is not the same as Belgium. Um, and Belgium's not the same as the Netherlands. Um, yeah, there's a border, but um, and that border no longer exists today. But um, cultural-wise, it's, it's a big difference. So I got mm-hmm. to learn uh, the differences and uh, um, how, um, yeah, how Belgians how they how they think how they um, tick is, is perhaps the right, right word. So from Belgium, I went to France and then worked in Paris. Right. Um, so again, a big difference, different language. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I thought I was on a holiday for um, for four years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Paris was one of those places you would go on holiday. You wouldn't go there to work. Um, right. Arrived in July in the heat of uh, summer. Um, uh, people didn't wear suits. They wore combinations and quite flamboyant colors sometimes, bow ties. Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, you get to learn uh, that culture. And then uh, from France, I went back to the UK, worked in the UK, um, in London, but also in, um, in Birmingham uh, area with the stores. So you get to, yeah. So over a, lo- a span of years, you get, you get to learn a lot about uh, people. Uh, and that's really um, one of I learned to be the is the most important um, part of any organization is is the people is your team is the people you recruit the people you surround yourself with and it's really important right. to understand different cultures different um, what motivates people individually and so on so that's really the I think one of the biggest takeaways of my career in being able to do what I'm doing today with Little Canada is, is to have that uh, experience of um, understanding people, um, how to mm-hmm. motivate them, uh, how to surround yourself with the right type of people. Um, um, yeah, so yes. I think that's, uh, so from the UK, I went back to Germany and then from Germany, went back to Belgium and then Belgium I was asked in 1999 whether I would like to switch over from uh, big box retailing, so CNA, the big big store retail, to specialty store retail. And um, I what does that, that mean? Well, basically, instead of a big store with all different departments, it's uh, individual stores that speak right. specific t- uh, age group, target group. I mean, it's not so much age anymore. It used to be back in the the 80s, you would talk about age groups. Now you talk about lifestyles. Um, Right. um, And um, North America is very prominent in that specialty store retail. Uh, So 
very targeted towards uh, lifestyles. And so um, uh, I was, uh, I accepted the, the, the challenge and thought it would be a great change for me at that age. I was then, back then, I was 39. And mm -hmm. um, so they said, well, the best place to learn it is Canada. Go to Canada for two years. And that's what brought us, brought me and my family over to Canada in 99. Um, in 99. In 1999. So we're now in 2020 and we're still here. <laughs> so, yes. Um, and yeah, so I look at, uh, without that background of European background of working in five different countries in Europe, um, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. Um, mm -hmm. A wealth of experience and um, a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that I'm, I uh, was able to put into my backpack, as, as it were, yes. to start this, well, two ventures. The first one was Renewable Energy um, back in 2000, and then uh, mm -hmm. working now on the big project, the Little Canada project, which I started in 2011. Yes. Well, Jean-Louis, there is so much there. Um, why don't we start off a little bit with um, the, the family training project? Yeah. So there is, a, there is a true training project for family within, um, within the company of CNA. That sounds really interesting. Yes, it's a, it's a training program which um, you have, you first, first of all, you apply. You have to apply to the program. So it's not... Yes that uh, just because you bear the name that you're going to be accepted. Um, mm -hmm. You have to meet certain criteria each year in order to move to the next stage. Um, uh, parts of it is uh, educational, so um, university degree, um, MBA. Um, then you have to get experiences across different uh, cultures, different businesses. Um, you also have to uh, be exposed to starting your own business. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much you have to be successful, it's just that you go through the motions of understanding what it takes to open and start a new, a, a new venture. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's not just learning the ins and outs of the company which already exists, it's, it goes much further than that. It's really... Um, a polite nudge to start your own business. Yeah, Not even a, yes. It, it really, it really is a requirement. Actually, I would say it's the experience that that, that yes, you you. So going through the motion, I call it going through the motions of okay. So how do I how do I start with this? And um, okay, um, okay, I need to register. Uh, as an example, you need to register the business with the government authorities, right? So yes. You need to do that. You need to uh, give it a name. You've got to devise a business plan. You've then got to, and all those steps you go through um, learning by doing, really. It's right. That, that's really the biggest, um, the biggest experience that you can gain from, from this mm -hmm. by. Um, it, it, it's, it's like driving a car, and if you drive the car to somewhere, you'll retain much more on how to get there than if you're a passenger. Um, yes, that's right. true. Yeah. Or if you're sitting in a classroom uh, reading about cars. Yes. I mean, it's better to go and 
you know, rather than sit, sit in, yeah, as you said, sit in the classroom and read a book about cars, the best place to, to learn about cars is go to a showroom and go to a, yeah, and talk to the mechanics, talk to the sales. Yeah. You'll know a lot, you'll learn a lot more in a much shorter time than just reading it from a book. Um, yeah. It's the same thing. Um, and which business did you start in in your training program? Well, back then in 1980, that wasn't a requirement when I joined. But uh, shortly after that, it, it became a requirement. Um, in a way, I did that in 2000, in 2000 when I started in the renewable energy business. Mm -hmm. And then I did it again um, this time. And um, times change. Uh, over so yes i knew how to start a business but i didn't really know the ins and outs you, you, you're still learning you, you keep learning as you in your career so i'm still learning things today that i didn't know yesterday um, right and um so even with starting a business we're now at the point where we're going to open the business to open the attraction mm-hmm so I'm learning now what it means to get a business license to open, you know, um, occup occupancy permit, um, what that means, what that, what that entails and what it doesn't mean. So an occupancy permit in, uh, just to give an example today, uh, we need an occupancy permit so that we can work in the space with more than, more than 50 people. Clear. That's the rule that that's with in in Toronto. Um, can, we can work as long as we like with forty nine people, but as soon as we go over the fifty, we need an occupancy permit. And that's and every country and every city may be different. So mm -hmm. you, but you know about it through learning by doing, right? Um, of course. Yes, that is that is uh, that is also something that, in a in a very small measure, of course, compared to you, but um, with with this podcast, um, yeah, it's been trial and error from the beginning, yeah. and I, it it could be comparable. Yes, um, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And would you agree with the fact that um, because you know? Um, I'm I'm inspired by the fact that your family, when it comes to business, is so organized um, that you you keep people together like this. That it's uh, that it's organized. It keeps the family wealth together, and it makes me think of a book that I read um, from um, a professor here in Leuven, uh, Alain Laurent Verbeek. You know him. You know him too, uh, Philip. Um, he says from um, the moment that families. Um, talk things through and get organized that um, family wealth can be kept within the family and that there is a larger sense of belonging and all that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you must agree with this. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm fifth generation in the, fa in the family business. And it's these, 10 o'clock. Uh, those are all parts of the, um, yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that. Absolutely. <laughs> now, that's good. But looking looking back on on your travels and where you've all lived, you know, I I am I can only imagine that it has it has asked a lot of flexibility from you, and um, a lot of effort. Um, now, of course, having travelled a little bit myself, would you say that there were countries or cultures 
um, that works better for you than others? Or were you surprised by certain differences between cultures? Um, maybe you could elaborate a little bit about um, on this. Um, yes, uh, there are cultures which are which which you 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 tend to uh, feel feel more at home than. Mm -hmm. On the other hand. Um, I do get the question many times. Well, which country did you prefer the? Which country did you prefer the most? And I say, well, you can't really answer that question straight out by making a, a um, <clears throat> you know, a list of first country, second, third, fourth, fifth. Um, it really depended on the time of the life cycle of your of your your life. So, um, right. You know, I loved Paris. But I was a, I was single, right? Mm -hmm. uh, would I uh, li love Paris as much today with, you know, a family with four boys? Um, mm -hmm. It would be very different. It would probably be more challenging. Uh, London, on the other hand, um, having a family in London would be easier, I think. Um, um, yeah, when I was in London, I enjoyed all the cultural, you know, I would go to a concert every week. Um, I was able to do that because, I, again, I was single. Um, yes. Today, it's difficult because my boys are not interested in classical music, although my oldest a little bit uh, when he gets mm -hmm. exposed. Um, my wife is, so we do, we do get, uh, have the, uh, we will. We haven't really been to any concert because because we're so busy with 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 family and and so on. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, there. Are, if I was to, uh, so people have asked me the question: if you went back to Europe, which country would you prefer to go back to? Well, again, it's very difficult to answer that question. Um, and I agree. And um, why don't we narrow this down a little bit? We are quite interested in the business side of things you've worked in these countries was there a business culture that you found um, practical easy to work with maybe that could help narrow things down a little bit more yeah um, I think probably uh, today I would say the steppings the easiest stepping stone back to Europe would be via via the UK um, mm -hmm. language speak uh, is a, speaks a role culture Canada is very, I would say, it's between sits between the U.S. and Europe, or between the U.S. and the U.K. Um, mm -hmm. About Ontario, if if I was in Quebec, it would probably be France, more France. Um, yes. Uh, I would go to uh, Germany or Switzerland or Austria. It's a lot more formal, um, mm -hmm. so that that would really need uh, an adjustment. Uh, let alone the, the, the language, but um, cultural-wise, it's more formal. Um, mm -hmm. uh, France. Would you prefer? Would you prefer it more formal, or um, no. do you find it no, difficult? I, I find it difficult. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting when I was at school in Germany. The moment I turned eighteen, all the parents of my friends they would automatically call me Mister Brennigmeier. Oh wow! Up until eighteen, they called me John Louis. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that was a bit of a shock. Um, the system, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's changed today as well. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm much older. I'm, I'm reaching sixty this year. So, uh, for someone to to say that to me today, I mean, um, it's very different. But that just gives an idea of um, adjust adjusting to the new environment. That takes time. It's easier on one hand in some countries, and it's it, it'll be hard on others. Um, and you think you like the more informal approach because you grew up in an Anglo-Saxon uh, country, or is it something that you would prefer in any case? I think it's I think it's both. I think it one is I grew up in that environment, but also that's what I'm experiencing today in uh, in North, in Canada. Uh, it's it's much more informal. Um, it's very rare that anybody says Mr. Even my emails, even to people who um, I've not met in person, but through email, it's generally hello, Jean-Louis. Yeah, very uh, Anglo-Saxon. Right. Not, uh, I do sometimes get emails where it says, dear Mr. Brennickmeyer, um, but it's very few and far between. Um, so that's some, and also I have to bear in mind it, it, my families grown up so all the four boys my oldest was six months old when we moved um so they don't know anything other than than canada so for them it would be even bigger shock to move to a more formal country right where uh yeah yeah and we're talking now about um yeah style but also content-wise, I, I have never done uh, negotiations with, with uh, Germans or, or English people uh, myself, but I hear that Germans can be very stubborn uh, and that also uh, complicates finding a solution sometimes while re- when you negotiate with a, a British businessman, he'll be more practical in general, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's the formality piece, right? So... If you're more formal, uh, if you have uh, no, this is not the way you do it here. We do it different. We do it this way. Um, mm-hmm. um, consumer habits is the same. So when you're talking about um, opening a business, uh, particularly if it's consumer facing or also business facing, you need to understand how your customer or your clients how they. Um, yeah, how, how they make decisions, right? How they. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if you look at Germany, my experience has been that it's it's more of a formal process. Uh, whereas, if you look at North America, it's more of an informal process. So, the idea that deals are made on the golf course—that's um, a a statement that you hear a lot. It's very true. Um, so you can sit around the table and try to come to an agreement on a deal. Um, generally speaking, the actual deal is done at the bar or in the golf course or during dinner. It's not in a formal um, meeting room. Um, I like that idea. Right. So it's, mm. it, again, if you know that, then you know how to, um, how to, speak to that right um. yes you, you you adapt you you roll with it and and i guess that um 
calling, for instance, Germans um, stubborn around the business ta around uh, the the table. Um, it might especially become difficult when you don't want to adhere to their reality and to their habits. Um, but I think from the moment, because it makes me think of a, of a friend who has lived in, um, in Japan. He says, it's not always easy um, when you don't like the rules, but when you know them and you adhere to them, um, things can go quite smoothly. You know, they, they, they have, then you grow accustomed to it. Yeah, so know your customer, really understand your customer. Yes. Uh, it's really important um, because that way then you can speak to them and you, uh, um, yeah, you can serve them better because they, you, know, you know what they want and, and how they want it. Um, yeah. How did you experience doing business in Belgium? Belgium, uh, now I have to think back. This was, so we left Belgium in 99. So we're talking about 20 years ago. Um, uh, as I said so earlier, happened. Belgium was, is, not, is not the Netherlands. Um, so I found very interesting that uh, the Dutch, if I can speak to the Dutch, the Dutch are very informal, very, um, they don't, they don't hesitate to say what they really think. Um, mm -hmm. They can really ask questions that you kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, um, I would never ask that type of question. Um, so cheeky, I would call them cheeky. Uh, that's what I use the word quite a lot. I had a recent interview, I interviewed someone who was Dutch, Dutch background. And at nice. the end of the interview, he just said, uh, so when can I start? Wow. And that was, a, for me, that was typical Dutch, right? Um, I wouldn't see that interview end very well if you would pull such a fast one in Belgium. Well, exactly. I mean, um, so for me, that was the moment where I said, no, no, I don't want this guy. <laughs> Not in <my> <laughs> um, or in but, Canada, for all that matter. But, but that that's... But he's very successful, so he's he's been very successful um, okay. in what he does. Um, this was a, for a CFO position, for a financial position. Mm -hmm. um, but as you say, in Belgium, you would know that's not Belgians are much more. Um, so it's almost uh, you could argue that Belgians are the same as ca Canadians compared to. Uh, Americans with the Dutch. I've heard that before. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The Dutch are the Americans of Europe. Yeah. People say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So if, if I, if yeah, that's how I would, how I would uh, characterize that. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, cu culture-wise, you know, in in the Netherlands, it's very typical that you just drop by someone's house and say, hey you not ring on their doorbell and you expect them to say, Hey, come in have a beer. Well, you wouldn't mm -hmm. do that in Belgium. Belgium it's no, you don't. You, um, my experience has been that when you meet people, the first time you actually meet and sit down with someone, you, you go to a restaurant. You don't go to someone yes. home. That's true. I come to it's much frowned upon if you ask it off the beat. Yeah. yeah. Much. It comes later in the process. 
uh, in the Netherlands, it's no, come, come, come for a drink, just drop by, you know, <laughs> don't have to even call in advance. Um, and yeah, so that's an example. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a difference. Now, Former yeah. former guest uh, Valentin van den Dale, he said to me that um, it's true uh, you can stop by in Holland. On the other hand, when they want to meet up in somewhere in town, they want to know exactly where in that cafe or in that restaurant, and they are very punctual and precise. While in that aspect, Belgians are more laid back, and they just say we'll meet somewhere in the center, and then we'll see what we'll do. Yeah. Mm. so yeah uh, so in the uk if you get invited at seven o'clock to uh, someone's house you don't turn up at seven o'clock no that's true <laughs> you come at 7 30. don't become you don't you don't you're not there before 7 30. you give that half an hour um leeway for them to ensure that they are ready Yes, uh, same same in the south of Belgium. Don't yeah. come on, on time. It's it's pushy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jean Louis, um, you were, actually I I asked you another question while you at the at the moment while um you were explaining doing business in France. What is the culture like over there, business wise? I'm quite curious to know. So now we're talking about going back to 1988. So, uh, okay. <laughs> um, well, what was it like to do business there in 1988? Um, it was, um, for me, it was, it was quite difficult as a foreigner to be, uh, in in Paris. And I have to say Paris because Paris is not France and, and the rest of France is not Paris. That um, is true. So that's the first thing that I recognize very, um, understood so when i first arrived in paris we tried to um so i was there with two cousins and we tried to as much as possible get to know the french you know try and see if we could um meet french people and you know build a build a, a friendship circle uh, of parisians mm -hmm. and um we gave up after a year Oh dear, you tried a full year? A full year, and we we gave up. We said, this is not working. Um, so How did we, you try? What, what well, kind of attempts we, did you undertook? We would invite people, um, and we would host these dinners on Thursday nights. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, But we would never get invited back. It was like, it's all one way. So it was like, okay, this is not working. We're not, yeah. it's not reciprocal. Yes, and, I understand. And then we decided. Then we en ended up um, the following two, two, three years, uh, tapping into the expat community. So all those who were not French, and um, that worked extremely well. In fact, they had yes. the same experience that we had, and so it was like, okay, well, we'll just be like everybody else, expats, and enjoy the the city, as uh, in quotes tourists. Um, and uh, had a great time absolutely loved it um and the same goes on the on the work side so on the in the work side it was really hard to be accepted as as a non-parisian if i can call it that yes 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 uh, yeah it was tough 
that was a, one of the toughest parts of, of my career it was when being in France and having that feeling that you're not really part of the team, part of the organization, um, mm -hmm. because we're not French. Um, because you're not French, um, which was a difficulty that you um, didn't really felt in, in, in different countries, I take it, that maybe Paris is a one-of-a-kind situation. Yeah. Um, well, the very, are... very typical of that. And, and, and it really came to a head when you started to, when you would um, uh, challenge challenge things that were very uh, patriotic for France. Um, oh. And then you would be in, in a real pickle because... Uh, Thin ice. You could sense that they were getting upset because you were saying things that, no, you don't say that. That's not... Um, and whether it's a sport where, uh, or whether it's anything other, when it's political or whether it's anything to do with arts, uh, history, um, mm -hmm. Have to be careful what you say because um, you'll get bombarded by counter because um, then you're really hitting the emotions emotional side of people and that that's always dangerous um, that is dangerous and but at the same time it's a shame that it has to be so emotional because not everybody shares that emotion no, that's correct. Uh, um, uh, but um, it's interesting that you say that because I got to know a couple of French people over the years um, when I was traveling myself um, and they talked about um, their schooling, their education, which is very, very, very Franco-centristic, let's say. And um, it kind of explains their worldview. Yeah, if, if if from the start you all of you all that you've heard is has something to do with France, but not necessarily that much with the rest of the world. Um, and you're being told that you you keep on being told that you live in the best country in the world. When in the end you get a very emotional attachment with that, and somebody challenges that, it's it's like you're really rattling the cage. I think. Um, but then again, is this correct? I think it um, kind of obstructs a larger worldview in some cases which is unfortunate yeah yeah i guess it's similar in the united states uh, in, a, in a way where they also think they are the greatest country in the world in all aspects yeah 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 so and particularly now uh, in the in the recent uh, present uh, or recent past um, it's becoming more and more polarized uh, in that way so mm -hmm. to uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. Current political situation, uh, which has given a new spark of uh, of nationalism as well, which uh, of course um, creates more narrow narrow mindedness. Uh, that's a, that's a normal response. Um, but I must say, Jean Louis, when I was in Canada myself, of course. Um, I think in some aspects, the Canadians, well, the Ontarians, the people from Toronto, because uh, at the same time, Toronto is not Canada and Canada is not Toronto. That's what Torontonians say and um, the experts said as well. We, you, you could challenge me on this. Um, I also stumbled across a similar way of dealing with things, that you are not just becoming friends with a Canadian of the beat. You have to take your time. 
Um, and from the moment that I said that I would only stay for six months, which was the case, now it might have taken away the, how shall I put this, the, the effort for some people to really invest into a, long, a longer friendship with me because they knew that after a while, regardless, I would go home again. Mm. Um, so I would get involved with the expert community uh, which were which was mainly composed out of Belgians and French, um, which was a lovely experience on its own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was a bit my experience. So so I see how this how this um, correlates. Now um, let's talk a little bit more about um, Little Canada, a home and miniature land. How did you how did you came up with this project? How did you um, where does this idea come from? Because it it looks like like this huge dream world and um, very founded and based upon your love for the country of Canada. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your relationship with Canada and how it brought you to Little Canada, a home and miniature miniature land. So I think there's three three reasons. Or three, uh, three condi preconditions that led to me to start this business. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. the first was uh, back in '99. So we we moved to Canada. Um, we arrive in end of May, um, and it's beautiful weather. Summer, it's hot. It's uh, we're uh, close to, uh, very close to the lake, uh, Lake Ontario. Um, you know, ten minute walk, and then you can be uh, by the lake. Um, yeah, and you it's look beautiful out, there. Yeah, you look out onto the lake, and you see a whole uh, flotilla, uh, flotilla of uh, sailboats sailing. Um, there's a nice breeze, and um, the people are very welcoming. Um, Everybody is an immigrant, so uh, it's yeah, it's a very young country. It, it only recently has celebrated its 150th anniversary um, in uh, 2017. So it's one big expat community. It's you, yeah. I mean, obviously there are um, uh, older generations who've been here. Um, you know many but for, for me and my wife we were one of many um and it's 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 quite it's quite common to introduce yourself and they say so where, where are you originally from you know that although you're canadian but where are your roots and um and um so that's the first thing that we really noticed um uh the, cli the climate um and then winter comes along and you, you you put everything away that you would use in the summer so you know if you have a pool you close the pool and you know mm -hmm. the pool's going to freeze so you have to do certain things to it that you can't just leave all year round that you may do in europe because you don't need to worry about it uh, deep freezing and pipes breaking and things like that and then the snow comes First, the fall, the fall, which is the, the majestic leave, changing of the leaves and the color. In summer. Absolutely st stunning. And then winter comes, you've got the snow, 
and then uh, it's all about hockey and it's about skiing um, and then spring comes uh, and then you're back into summer again so you've really got all four seasons uh, mm-hmm. probably the season that the, the shortest is probably spring uh, it's late so spring doesn't really start until may um, so in europe you know daffodils would come out in february in canada they come out in late april early may um, and uh, depending on when the summer comes um, spring can be like four weeks it can be six weeks it can sometimes even be just two weeks where everything just blossoms within a very short period of time. It's true. It was shocking how fast that went. And then suddenly you're you're back into summer. Uh, yeah. and, um, Which are hot. So that 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 spoke to us really uh, greatly. Um, we're we're away from uh, you. Kind of Canada is kind of like a, I compare Canada with Switzerland. Um, Switzerland is a country that uh, everybody knows about. They visit, whether it's summer or in the winter, but they know nothing other than that. Um, if you were to, okay, they, they make good, wa- nice watches, chocolate. That's probably, yes. that's probably it. Um, yeah, a uh, great tennis player, you know, Roger Federer. Um, I mean, you really have to scrape the barrel to find what, what you know about Switzerland. Uh, if you were to ask who's the prime minister or, um, I don't know. Um, uh, now I know, probably know a lot more than, than, than perhaps the average person, but uh, yeah. kind of very oh. Well, what, what's it like to live in Switzerland exactly? What's it like to live in Canada? Yeah, so, but it's, it's, you don't know. So Canada, when we came to Canada, I knew, didn't know much about Canada. I, did, I, I, I knew a couple of cities. I could name Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, mm-hmm. Quebec City, perhaps. Um, that was probably it. Um, I could name a couple of uh, politicians, Maroney and Trudeau. Um, that's because I would read The Economist on a regular basis. And if there, if there were an uh, article about Canada, usually it was political because there would be an election. And then those are the two names that would come up. In, in that that I retained um, I never heard of Wayne Gretzky who uh, was the great one um, probably the, the most famous hockey player in the world um, but again uh, if you're not into that sport you would never have heard of him mm-hmm. never heard of Terry Fox Terry Fox is uh, someone who died of cancer uh, he had his leg amputated, um, uh, having, having, however, decided to, for cancer research, uh, right. ran, uh, decided to run from from coast to coast. Uh, oh wow! He only got it... about halfway because uh, he then had a relapse in cancer and died. But today, there there are uh, Terry Fox. Uh, runs everywhere it's uh, since he passed away isn't uh, that um, isn't that the guy um, they used um, well they, they used to base um, that scene on um, Phil in Forrest Gump that movie have you guys have you have you guys seen this movie I've seen it Forrest yeah Gump. yeah 
could be. At a certain point, Tom Hanks, well, Forrest Gump goes out for a run and uh, he keeps on running, crosses the country and becomes very inspirational. Right. Yes. So that's, that's Terry Fox. Basically. Right. Um, and then I thought that basketball was invented by an American. Uh, it's not. It was invented by a Canadian. Um, okay. Um, if you ask the Americans who invented the telephone, they would say it was an American. If you ask the Canadians, you would say it was a Canadian. Alexander Graham Bell. Um, biggest telecom company in Canada is Bell. Um, right. It's true. Um, and then there's a whole raft of um, uh, actors, artists, who, if you didn't know, you would think they were all American. Um, they are Canadian. Um, Mike Myers. Mike Myers, Michael J. Fox, uh, William Shatner. So, you know, I grew up with Star Trek. No, Captain Kirk, he was Canadian. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the list goes on and on and on. Celine Dion, she sings. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah, then Seth uh, Rogen, yeah. And then you, and then my boys went into grade four. Uh, so in the fourth year at school, and they had to do a project. And this project was a province project. project. So they had to learn about a project, they had to research it, they had to make a, a board with pictures, and then they had to present the project. It's 10 province to the to the class and parents get involved in those projects because um, and i learned more about canada through my boys projects than living here and that was great. Right. that was really one of the inspirations for starting this business little canada was to share that knowledge with with everybody um, so learn learn about about Canada as a country. Um, Canada is very, um, Canadians are passionate, they're not patriotic. Right, how does that work? Well, uh, I, I, for me, um, Americans are patriotic. They are, um, yeah, I don't want to say nationalistic because that's too, too strong a word, uh, but the difference between, I, I, I make the difference. The Canadians are passionate, they're not patriotic because they're, they're um, reserved. They don't, um, there's one exception as that's when Canada plays in the Olympics uh, hockey. That's the only mm -hmm. time that they are really patriotic and you know do everything to, to win. Um, but everything else, it's, um, no, they, they, they love the country. Uh, they're very passionate about what Canada has to offer, but they don't brag about it. Right. I see. I see. They're, yeah. they're not. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then in 2011, I went to visit Miniature Wonderland in Hamburg, Germany, which is the largest model railway in the world. And when I walked out, I said, this is what I want to do for Canada. Right. It was an inspiration. That was an inspiration. So that combination and uh, with that educational element on top, that's basically what uh, the vision is. So, you know, come through Canada in miniature and learn something about it that you otherwise would not have learned.
So if I if I if I um, put this in a little nutshell, it's um, based on just learning about the country where where you where you start started living through your own experiences and through the um, deeper insights from your boys and sheer serendipity actually visiting visiting this um, this hall in in Germany where um, you actually combined your new love for the country with a way to show this actually mm -hmm. yeah yeah actually that I mean uh, Canada has so much to offer um, geographically speaking culturally speaking um, you know it's got uh, in the east it's got the maritime provinces which is very predicated on uh, the Irish and the Scottish uh, mm -hmm. got the uh, Quebec, which is very French-inspired. Um, uh, you've got Ontario, which is uh, yeah, the largest province, the largest population. Um, Toronto is... There are over 250 languages spoken in Toronto. Um, yeah, isn't Toronto considered the most multicultural city in the world and the, th the third largest city in all of uh, North America? Uh, Correct. I think it's, yes. Uh, I thought it was something like that. Like, it's, it's definitely in the top five. It's um, huge. It's and actually it's huge. And it continues to grow exponentially. Um, mm -hmm. And then you've got uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan, which are very, um, uh, uh, yeah, in the middle of the country, uh, primarily uh, farming um, provinces, grain. Um, and then you've got Alberta, which is oil. So it's, it's very, uh, I wouldn't call it a Texan mentality, but it's, uh, you know, cowboys and oil. Yeah. And, um, they're very big into renewable energy, um, which is interesting. And then you've got the Rockies and the and British Columbia, the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Got a very, cli a very European climate. Um, yeah. And uh, those are the very marked differences and then you've got the whole north right all the way up to the arctic um so uh it's a very varied country very, yeah. um, and i think that um, the there's so little known about well we, we could we could say a couple of things about canada but i totally agree with the fact that just like switzerland we can you really have to like you like you put it so well yeah you really have to scratch the barrel to really say something substantially about canada or something about switzerland what is what would be the reason for this because you're going to tell a story about Canada, like you've done right now, like you do through your company. But what would be the reason? Is it because uh, Canadians don't really brag about their passion? Uh, I'm not sure I understand quite the question. Uh, why? Well, um, why, why would it be that when people talk about Canada, that they don't really, um, that they can't really elaborate about Canadian culture or can't really talk about um what is there to say about canada like 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 with switzerland um is it because like you said that canadians don't really brag about their love for the country yeah they don't brag about it they um i think it's also important to understand the history of canada um so uh, the war of 1812 if uh, that war was lost canada wouldn't exist and what happened in 1812? Uh... 
Well, was... the Americans attacked the, the, right. uh, attacked Canada. Um, in those days, it was Upper Canada and Lower Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, this was before uh, Canada became a country. So Canada did not come become a country uh, until 1867. Uh, right. um, the confederation um, but in 1812 the Americans attacked the British who were um, uh, and they lost yes. um, had they won that war then uh, Canada wouldn't exist you probably have the United States of the, yeah of America it would all be part of the US um Canada would be integrated in the current United States as yeah, we know it today. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, yeah. Um, so that's that's important to understand as a background. Um, secondly, Canada is predicated, um, you know, uh, politically. The political system is based on the UK. Um, it's a federal system. Um, it's uh, the head of state is a queen, I think. The head of state is, is, is the queen, yeah. Um, she has representatives uh, for herself in the various provinces as well as uh, federally. Um, uh, and then it's, it's, it's only, when we first arrived, there were 30, just over 30 million people in Canada. So we're, uh, the US is 10 times the size in terms of population. Mm -hmm. uh, Although the country is the second largest in the world um, after yes. Russia, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so thirty is now we're hitting thirty-seven million now. So immigration is big. We're one of one of the biggest countries that bring in immigrants into the country, mm -hmm. um, uh, and as a consequence, it's very multicultural, very diverse. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and um, I became Canadian myself in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, I've got uh, dual citizenship, so uh, it's, a, it's a country where you where they allow dual citizenship. So mm -hmm. many of uh, many Canadians have to have, to have a dual citizenship, uh, particularly recently. Um, yes, and uh, yeah, and it has a love hate relationship with. Um, with uh, the US, it's the largest trading partner. So 80% of all exports go to south of the border. Right. Um, uh, but there's a love, there's a love hate relationship. Yes, yeah, because Canada is independent, but not always uh, follows what the US wants to do. So when you talk, right. look at the Iraq war, if you look at uh, sanctions against Iran or things like that, then um, Canada says, nope, we're not participating. Um, whereas, depending on who, who the president is, um, so particularly as of late, uh, the Trump administration has been, um, so we talk, we talk about it, it's, it is raising the finger towards uh, Canada. <laughs> I mean, uh, he was not very um, respectful to our prime minister, uh, two years ago when we had the G7. Um, and I remember something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and he's already again, once again, has put tariffs on uh, aluminum, aluminum 
uh, imports from from Canada. Um, the protectionists uh, measure nationals national security reasons. That's the the, the reason for it. Um, of course, it's ridiculous. We're not a national uh, and we're not a security threat to the U.S. Uh, <laughs> we wouldn't stand a chance to be a threat in any way. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's a little bit. That's probably why the Canada is the way it is. It's it's we're small. Mm -hmm. uh, we are uh, dependent on what happens south of the border. Um, mm -hmm. so the common the common saying is, well, um, if uh, if the U.S. sneezes, we we catch a cold. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like here when it rains in Paris, there are droplets in Brussels. We say, yeah, it's a, it's that that's uh, and uh, there's cons. Uh, you know, at the moment we're in a in a a real pickle between uh, we're kind of sitting in between China and the U.S. in terms of um, politically speaking, but also economically mm -hmm. speaking. Um, the U.S. Uh, requested that we that Canada um, detained um, the CFO of Huawei, Huawei uh, in Vancouver because she she lived in Vancouver. Um, right, um, and Canada didn't move forward with this, which uh... Canada did. They 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 helped put her in. Um, so they arrested her on behalf oh, of. Oh, they did. And uh, as a result, the Chinese have got three Canadians in um, in detention centers in uh, in in China, um, and uh, yeah. So we're kind of like we whatever we do, we we're, we're not going to please both sides. It's um, mm -hmm. so that's the kind of position that Canada's in. Yes, I, it's very interesting, and 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 I totally understand. Now, now you gave us an example where Canada did follow um, the wishes of the United States, but at the same time, they don't always do so. They have their own identity. They have their own wishes. Um, there's a there's this form of stoicism there as well. That let them talk. You know, we know what we're worth. We know um, why we love our country. Um, which is which is interesting on its own, and um, perhaps also maybe a reason why you love Canada, right? It's a country with so many drivers, so many good traits. Um, it has inspired you to create your business because this is really a business predicated on the fact that you love Canada. It's a it's a country with so much things to see and do. I take. Yeah, yeah. correct. Mm. Mm. And how did the Corona crisis? Crisis impact your business uh, severely. Um, having said that, um, so we were going to open in June, and uh, we we are now delayed by fifteen weeks, um, a minimum of fifteen weeks. And uh, the aftermath of the coronavirus is still has still an impact on us. Um, mm -hmm. So the supply chains have been. Um, disrupted on the one hand uh, the border with the US is closed so you can't go across the border unless unless it's for um, yeah for 
for, 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 for very good reasons. Um, so um, we've got no US tourists uh, coming up um, and the border continues to be closed through at this point till 21st of September. At, at the early, at the, it won't open earlier than that. Could even get pushed out depending on what's happening south of the border. Um, we've got, I think we've done, government yeah, have done a great job in containing the, the virus and uh, flattening mm -hmm. the curve. Um, we just reached, I think we just reached 9,000, um, uh, 9,000 um, deaths in the country. Where mm -hmm. um, if we've got 9,000, then the US should be at 90,000. Side, um, they've 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 surpassed one hundred seventy thousand. So, and that's a big contrast to how Canada has dealt with the the virus. Whereas, yeah, I mean, um, so and as I said, we're so dependent on the U.S. economy, uh, the fact that they are not managing the, the virus. Um, um, it, it, it sounds like somebody definitely sneezed in the United States. That's true. Well, they're not only they sneeze, they continue to sneeze and sneeze and sneeze. And they're not <laughs> yes, doing yes. anything about yeah. it, as it were. Um, and we're, we're getting the brunt of it, right? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Must be really stressful, I think. Yeah? Uh, must be very challenging. I'm, go I'm not going to speak for you, but it, it sounds like um like a difficult situation because you you're waiting to open your project and well you know um supply chain has been um has been disrupted and you have to wait for things to move forward i yeah, guess that's, that's uh, easy but if you take the the grand scheme of things you know i started this business in 2011 mm -hmm. so only about nine years nine and a half years now um yeah. It's a blip, really, in that timeline. It's um, true. Right. So that's really important to, as an entrepreneur, to always look back and look at, at the whole picture and not just yeah. be demoralized by, because it, the journey is always up and down. I mean, you're going to have successful moments. You're going to have really disappointing moments mm -hmm. that are going to be thrown at you left, right, and center. Um, challenges and you just have to make sure that you step back and look at it from a, a broader point of view broader point of view because otherwise you you you, you won't last you, you if you look them all yes. in isolation you say oh no not another one and another one and another one um you gotta so one of the things that i've done right from the start is uh is a journal okay and a journal a yeah, I call it a journal. Um, it's 5,700 pages uh, already after nine years, nine and a half years. Now, I do have to say um, probably a third of those, if not 40% of that is are pictures. Right? So I take a lot of pictures. Uh, pictures okay. are um, you know, equivalent to a thousand words, right? One picture. Um, wow. And, um, That's a lot of pictures. Yeah, it, it, it helps you go back to to help you look at 
you know, even going back two, three years, you forget a lot of, a lot of things that happened, a lot of mm -hmm. challenging things, but certainly the positive things. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Good to capture that uh, and look back on it. I think that's important to stay motivated to, to remember yourself why you started this project that it's uh it's up yeah. to you yeah. um very much yeah. yeah no no it's inspiring um um and and then again you know 10 years for for a company to to really get to the point where you were what was it that um has taken up the most time because you talked about um at a certain point you talked about certain permits etc but what what was it that really um took up a lot of time to to prepare to to work on i would say is to really well in our case because we're so unique is is building up the team and the mm -hmm. skills to build the destinations the, the exhibits um, yes and if you look at how we built the first destination which was toronto Mm -hmm. And you look at how we are building today Quebec City, mm -hmm. night and day. Um, so Quebec City is being built um, more efficiently, um, more um, productively, mm -hmm. um, and at a lower cost and at a higher at, 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 in less time because of all the experiences of the past destinations we've built and how we've learned from those experiences. So yes, yes, uh, yes. you constantly are learning how to do things better than you did the time before. Uh, mm -hmm. Because if I understand this well, it's all it's all custom made, it's all handmade, and you guys think of the best ways to present things to make miniature versions of the big highlights um, that you can see all over Canada. Correct. Um, yes. Yeah, and uh, so that took the most time, um, and then I think the other. I think if you are asked to ask were to ask me, what do I what 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 is what do I spend most of my time on? And that's on the people, on the team. Right. Um, no, I. Um, Richard Branson said, "If you look after your people, they'll look after your customers." Yeah. And it's very, very true. Um, um, How do you see this develop then? Well, you, if you look after your people and you motivate them and you inspire them, uh, you. Uh, help them to continue to learn, to grow. Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll, they're in a good place. So when they interact with guests, they're happy, and so they exude that happiness towards the guests, and they'll do everything possible to make them happy. Um, Communicates quality better. Yeah. If you conversely, if you don't look after your 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 team, and they're always complaining. And they are not happy, then they're not going to exude that. In fact, they will exude that unhappiness towards guests um, by. I give a very simple example. Uh, you go to a grocery store and you're looking for the jam, and you see someone unpacking boxes, and you say, Excuse me, do you, where do I find the jam? Well, someone who's very happy in their work, they will say, 
oh, come with me, I'll show you. And they'll walk with you to the aisle and they'll point out, here, yeah, we've got four different jams. Um, let me know if I can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Unhappy um, uh, employee would, would, would at best would say, well, it's in aisle three on the left-hand side. Or worse, um, oh, that's not my department. You have to go and find someone else. In, in uh, go, go to customer service and ask them there. Um, that's the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. And how do you motivate your employees? Can you give uh, some examples? Um, well, I think the first thing is be 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 available. So. Um, be around, um, be, walk, walk, walk the floors, walk, go and talk to them. Um, so to give an example with, um, so every morning when I go to the office and I'll go to the warehouse, the first thing I did is I put my laptop on my desk. I plugged it in, I opened it, and then I went for a walk. I just walked through the warehouse and just said good morning to everyone. How are you doing today? And then we'll spend five minutes with each person saying, so what are you working on? Um, uh, letting them Each talk. person, five minutes. Yeah, five, sometimes it's 10, depending on, um, and I'd always ask them, you know, let me know if I can be helpful. What, what can I do to help, help you? Uh, and then I would go back to my desk, um, but then I would, walk around again instead of you know i need to stretch my legs once in a while i just go and walk around again just and i would take lots of pictures and um talk to them and it's not always about business it's also about you know uh, life remembering remembering uh their birthday remembering anniversaries remembering if they have a family member who's not well uh, those are all very important pieces part of the puzzle Mm-hmm. It's 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 more like a family than just a business, um, if I hear you talking. Yes. Um, and so now we're all working from home. And so what I've been doing is I've been checking in with everyone every two, three weeks, 15 minutes. So I schedule in my calendar uh, uh, a team's check-in. And I talk to them on the screen one-to-one for 15 minutes. And we just talk. They can they, they can talk about whatever they like. Um, sometimes they talk about business. Sometimes they talk about. Um, so I got one one um, member of the team. Her her father lives with with her. He's eighty five years old. Every time I speak to her, I say, "How's your father? How's your father doing?" That's how you, in my opinion, that's how you you. If you show that you care and really care and generally care about them, then that's how you motivate them. Yes, yeah, because yeah. like I said on our previous episode with Bart Brotars, a young Belgian entrepreneur, I've also worked for somebody who suddenly read probably in a management book, I have to show that I care. And then she was pretending to be interested. And that's really at the opposite effect. So when it's genuine, then it works. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think probably the most important thing is to praise people for, for their work, right? So acknowledge that they have done a, 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 a great job. Um, you know, I, I text people after a meeting and say, wow, great, 
great meeting. Uh, thank you for your leadership in, 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 yeah. And everyone, everyone's got, got, got something to contribute. Uh, so I, I regularly, uh, we have twice a week, we have what we call town hall meetings on teams and we used to do it in, yeah, we will go back to when we can do it on site, but um, for now we're doing it on teams. And um, I regularly keep, you can never over communicate. That doesn't exist. You have to keep telling the story again and again. Mm -hmm. I always talk about the puzzle. We're building a puzzle to a puzzle. And um, there are big pieces of puzzle, big pu puzzle pieces. There are small puzzle pieces. Every puzzle piece has to be put into the puzzle. And that's a, telling people, some people have, contribute bigger, bigger to, the, to the effort and others smaller. But every piece counts. Every piece is important. To finish the puzzle. Yeah, to finish the puzzle. So someone who is only making a small contribution or think they are making a small contribution, yes, but that's important. Without that contribution, the puzzle will never be complete. So that's that. That's kind of like that's how I motivate people. Um, acknowledge that they're doing a great job. Generally care for them, mm -hmm. and uh, tell them that their their contribution is. Um, without their contribution, we would not get. We would not complete the puzzle. That is that is all very inspirational, and it makes me think of something that you touched on, um, touched upon in 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 the beginning of our conversation. Is that throughout all your years, um, internationally and professionally, you've learned so much about people, and that is one of the things that if you take good care of your people, they will take care, good care of you. Well, hence your business. Um, are there more things that we as um, because we both. Um, have a lot of love for entrepreneurship um, that two guys like us should know about people when you work with them that you could share with us? Um, every person is different. Right. And, uh, one should never... Um, how do I say it? Put people into group people into boxes. Um, no, if you've got 10 people, you've got 10 boxes. Don't try mm -hmm. and put three of them into one box. It, 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 no, you've got, to, you've got to look at it from 10 people, 10 boxes. I think that's the first. I think the second is really understand how they learn. So are they a reader or are they a listener? Mm -hmm. um, there's a great book called Managing Oneself by Peter Drucker. It's a small pocket size book. And it talks about exactly that. It's really important to understand how people learn. If you understand how they learn, not only that, how they learn, but how you learn as well, mm -hmm. you can help them grow. As long as they are growing in your organization, they'll stay. If they are no longer growing, they will start to look elsewhere. It's 11 o'clock. And if you know how they grow and how they, whether they listen, they, they learn by listening or learn by mm -hmm. reading, you can tailor your 
conversations towards that, your communication towards them, mm -hmm. how you generally care with them. Um, that's all part of um, that, that, that for me are the most important parts to it. Would you say that being a very business, uh, very sorry, a very busy um, CEO, um, would this all be, always be possible to to really remain involved at this level? Because how do you do it? You, you you must be a very very busy man, but there is still a lot of people management involved. Whereas usually they would give that kind of job to different managers or to an HR department. It seems that you personally seem very involved, which I find baffling and very interesting. How do you do this? Well, we have I have a, um, a director of. Um and it's interesting, I don't have a director of HR. Mm -hmm. I have a director of people, culture, and wellness. Culture. Culture and wellness. And wellness. So those are three very important parts of the, the job. Um, and she, mm -hmm. she, does all, she, she does all the, and that's her job, but... Um, my job is to ensure that I'm well informed. Um, so one of the biggest drawbacks of being a CEO is it's lonely at the top. Mm -hmm. You're on your own. Everybody else is reporting into you, either directly into you or indirectly into you. So yeah. you, need, you need to ensure that you are actually hearing and seeing the truth what is really going on in the organization. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can rely on people telling you all your direct ports. You know, you have a meeting with your sales and marketing director and then with your uh, production director and mm -hmm. give you an update. But let's be honest, he's, gonna give, he's not going to tell you everything. He's going to tell you all the good stuff and he's going to water down all the bad stuff. Um, so how do you mitigate that by walking around and talking to people? Yeah, I, I you see what you see. Yeah, you see, you hear, um, you listen, and that's when you really hear what's really going on and seeing what's really going on in your organization. Um, and actually doing, helping them do their, what their, their jobs. Um, so yesterday evening I was down at... Um, the site and I was actually doing work I was just helping and then you know they were pull, peeling off pieces of um, plastic off um, of roads so the roads had been all been cut in the laser cutter and then we had to peel the plastic off either side and it's a laborious job it's it's you know you just have to peel them all off all one by yes. one mm -hmm. right took a chair, sat with the two ladies there, they were doing it, and I just helped them peel it all off. I mean, I don't, it's, it's and by doing so, um, you strike up a conversation and an hour later, you've, you've learned so much about how they are feeling, how the job is going, uh, what are the pitfalls, what are the things that frustrate them. Um, yeah. And they, and they see you are not afraid to make your hands dirty. Yes, and also, yeah, and, and, and they realize, well, I can bring things up. I can now ask questions. So mm -hmm. they ask me lots of, lots of questions. Um, 
the only thing I say to them, you can ask me anything you like, as long as uh, as long as it's 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 done in a respectful way. Yes. So that's the only rule that you have to adhere to. Anything and everything is open book. I can, if I if I feel the need, I can say, look, I can't. I, I'm not comfortable in answering that question. That's also a perfectly good answer. But every can't, um, every question will be answered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now there are still people who are hesitant, right? They they're not comfortable in. So we have on Teams an anonymous chat, right? And you can put your question or your comment in that anonymous chat. And no one, no one in the organization will know who it's from. No one. Are there said, a lot of people who put messages in that chat? Yeah, there, there are. There are um, there's some people that do that. Yeah, they, 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 they're probably every week there's two or three questions that come up in the chat. Okay. And um, we address them. So they have to have the, uh, so all the questions that come in by Wednesday evening. Mm-hmm will be responded to but on Friday during the town hall. Okay. Um, and there's, there's sometimes, you know, that they, they, they put funny questions in there, like, uh, can I have a raise? Um, mm -hmm. That was one question early on. And, of course, the answer back was, well, so the question came up in, uh, in the anonymous chat that, um, can I have a raise? Well, unfortunately, we can't answer that question unless we know who it was who wanted a raise. So, um, that, that, there, there, of course, it doesn't work. It's, uh, no. Uh, no, no, no. Which, I, which, I, proves, which proves that um, you deal with people on a personal basis. Yes. And, uh, and yeah. Fun, right? I mean, it was kind of like a, a, we, we kind of made it a little bit of a joke. Um, and um, Yeah. But look, but we're happy to answer the question. Just please contact Lee, uh, uh, director of People, Culture, and Wellness, uh, to have a conversation because we can't, because it's anonymous. We don't know who it came from. Um, maybe, maybe that person um, wanted you to give everybody a raise. Well, it says, "Can I?" Then they should have. Ah. we have a raise. True. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as I said, it's it. As I said right from the beginning of this podcast, I said it's it's people. That's it's all about the people. Mm. Your team. Um, yeah. Everything else will, will will. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe a second one is um, these are not new. You know, surround yourself with people who are better than you. Mm -hmm. Don't tell them how to do their job. I mean, you know, you've—they—they—if they are the right people, they—they're perfectly capable of doing the job. So don't tell them how to do it. Um, empower them to make decisions. Um, yeah. So all, you know, and 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 I find and moving forward on that, um, I take it you're you're not a man with a with necessarily with a technical background, but yet again you started. A business which has taken up a lot of technical skill which um, when, when I also remember you talking about it that you have learned to well you've learned who was making these kind of 
um, miniature projects and who, who is um, you know who is technically able to pull it off to make a project like this so um, it kind of embodies the fact that you've surrounded yourself with people who are well smarter or more technically able than you would, would that be an application of this absolutely I mean um, I'm never going to be a good modeler as good as anybody who's on the modeling team. I'm never going to be as good as anybody who's on the tech team or on the uh, finance team or even the HR team. Um, no, you, you surround yourself with people who are experts. Um, yep. And as long as they, uh, as long as you give them the opportunity to grow in those roles, then that's good. If, if, um, so I, the, the, the worst mistake that you can ever make is tell people how to do their job. Then, then they'll turn around to you and say, well, 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 well if, if you do better than you do it, you don't need me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're afraid to make mistakes because it has to be done so in such a precise manner, perhaps. Yeah. to uh, to make make the boss upset and when you're afraid you make more mistakes yes. yeah you yeah. Um, and is there a growth trajectory in your company or is it more organic like when this person when I like him he will grow or when he's doing well he'll grow or do you set like goals um, on a yearly basis how does that work so we we don't have um we 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 uh, each year everyone sets their uh, their personal and business goals. Okay. Yeah, uh, and it's not we tell them; they tell us what they what. What are your personal goals? What do what do you want to? Where do you want to be in five years? And how can we help? Mm -hmm. And then there are business goals, um, which are then uh, discussed between the leader and the team member. Okay, this is what, what we want to achieve a year from now. Yeah. That, that, that's, um, that's a big part of, uh, that's the goal setting piece. Um, and then we have, um, we don't really do performance reviews. We do, we do um, personal development um, right. Review, reviews. That's how we call it. Um, I like that. There's a much more positive tone to it. Um, I, I think that if I would go to such a meeting instead of a review, um, a performance review, it would feel like my faith is much more in my own hands. I would feel much more empowered to go to such a meeting, like the way you, you call it. And it's prepared by by themselves, so they prepare it. So we don't. I, I, my direct reports, I don't do a review on them. Um, if I have feedback to give them because they've there are things that need to work on, I give it there and then. I don't wait until the review. It's, right. too, it's too late. You have to do it right there and then. Um, what they do do is they select five colleagues from different parts of the organization and ask them to answer three questions. What should I do 
more? What should I do less? Um, what should I stop doing? And what should I start doing? Okay. Those questions. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Open questions to make people think. Yeah, they have to write down. So, okay, yeah. Uh, continue to continue to be um, a great, such a great uh, support for uh, our team by um, providing us with the numbers that we need each week to make decisions on the following week. Mm -hmm. um, uh, stop. Stop thinking that you're not helping us. Uh, those are the types of things that, that come up. Um, um, well, was there a person um, in your experience professionally who really thought, um, because you, you, you've already touched upon this a couple of times, saying that stop thinking that you're not helping us. Everybody's useful. There is a, there's a job for everybody. Um, but... Was there a case where a person really was down and thought, look, whatever I'm doing here, I'm useless, I'm not really contributing, or my piece of the puzzle is quite small, whereas that is not necessarily the case. How do you convince this person to feel more empowered, to get back on that horse and really you know, feel larger about themselves? Is there a case uh, where you've uh, come across with this? Especially recently with COVID, I mean, people are unsure, they're anxious, they are insecure, um, they're worried about their jobs. Um, yes. Again, um, it's just making sure that you speak to them, you talk to them, you listen. Mm -hmm. It's half the battle. If they can just share how they feel, and you ask them, ask them, so how are you feeling? Um how was how was how was last week? Um, how was yesterday? How was yesterday? Yeah. You know, um, and in some cases, I even sometimes in in the town hall, I see someone's face uh, on the screen, and um, I text them afterwards. It says, uh, "Are you okay? Because you you, you look very um, you look down. You you." Mm -hmm. you and and just by by doing that, you it helps tremendously. It's it, it just gives yeah. gives um, again. It's genuine care. If you give that, if you care genuinely about the people that work with you, everything else yeah. is yeah. is a, yeah. Everything else will fall into place. You know, Jean Louis, you really make me think of my uncle. Um, also, he's also always worked with a lot of people under him. And um, he said, uh, so I said, how do you do it? You know, uh, how, how is this for you, um, uh, running the organization and everything? And he said, well, uh, first thing that goes right out of the window is everything, well, most things that I've learned at the university in a technical way as an engineer. So physics, chemistry, you know, unless if you do work for the R&D department, when you got uh, a CEO or managerial position, it's mainly 
psychology, um, uh, some empathy here and there, and and um, maybe a little chunk of politics when you're dealing with things on a corporate level. It's um, it really makes me think of that, that it's so much about people, and I hear it all over the all the time, but I think it's it's all too often forgotten. It's a very powerful message, this. And yeah, uh, I also saw this message in on the website of Porticus, your family's uh, philanthropy, where education plays an important role. And um, you on that website, you write that qualities like empathy, spirituality, resilience, and collaboration should be combined with literacy, numeracy, and critical thinking. So, um, is this actually a family thing, uh, this uh, focus on, uh, well, empathy and the, the human side of things? Is it something you share with the rest of uh, your family? Yeah, I think, I think that it, it is a trait of the family. Um, it's, uh, it, you can almost say, I, 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 it's almost like it's in our DNA, right? Um, so, when people ask me, I, I regularly say to people, you know, there's a continuum. On one end, you've got people, and on the other end, you've got profit. And I'm, I'm at this end. I'm at the people end. There are others who are on the, right at the opposite end. Profit is the number one, and people is secondary. So you can see that in organizations where they don't care about people um they just care about profit um mm -hmm. so um and we're we're the opposite and i think our family is the opposite we're we're more um people focused than profit focused um and, and yet still very successful as a business i take it which is um an interesting an interesting story on its own i think well, it's again. It's if you look after your people, everything else will, will exactly fo will follow, um, and yeah, and that's spilled over into our philanthropic activities mm -hmm. too. Uh, we recognise that if you again, if you uh, give people uh, now in 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 philanthropy, it's it's more. Um, um, I don't say it. It's more. It's. Um, is more prevalent in the terms of people. If you give people an ed education, then they can fend for themselves more, right? So mm -hmm. it's like saying, well, okay, I'm going to buy, I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy fish for our neighbor uh, every yeah. day and give them the fish. Um, but if I educate them to know how to fish for themselves, you know, this is a rod and this is how you fish, then they can fend for themselves. Um, in business, it's the same. You you give them the tools, you give them the education and the training, and then they can do the work themselves. Um, yeah. As they, you don't have to tell them anymore how to do the job. They can do it, and you can trust them. You can, yeah, and they can grow. Um, and um, as I said, if they no longer have the opportunity to grow, to learn, then they're going to look elsewhere and find a different place where they can learn and grow. Um, yes. 
everyone wants to move move on to to you know to a better place uh, in the future, um, mm-hmm. not only for themselves but for their families, for their kids, and, and so on. So that's all part. Yeah. And education is the it starts with education. If you can't read and write, if you don't have that, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's where you start. You start with with that very basic principle of reading and writing, and mm-hmm. then build on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and we, we see that you are in the board of a school, um, a Christian school. Does that school um, have the same philosophy on education as you have? Sorry, say that again. Yeah, does, does the school um, uh, oh. where you are in the board share yeah. your philosophy on education? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, the school, in fact, um, if you if you ask any parent, what is it about King's Christian Collegiate that's different from other schools? And they, the most would say the teachers care. That's the word they use. The teachers they care. They care. So again, they are taking each student as an individual. They're not just saying, oh, I've got 20 kids and I've got 10 who are really good and 10 who are struggling. No, they look at each one. They care for each individual student. Yeah. Yeah, because that's something we've touched upon a lot in our um, podcast, uh, education and that's how right. on the one hand um, we we found that we didn't have enough room for competition uh, or to excel in Belgium uh, on the other hand I think a too competitive environment isn't good either I think you need a balance there between yes. letting people excel and also uh, teaching people to to work together and and not to be too competitive and that is what what you also i believe try to try to instill then in the in the in the students in that school yeah okay so it, it, yeah i mean um i'm i'm chair of the board of 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 that school and um it speaks exactly the same kind of value system that we have that i have same value system that little canada has Same value system the Kings has, and um, not only very consistent. Well, you kind of you 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 pick you pick what fits, right? So of course, um, if if it didn't have that value system, I wouldn't. First of all, I wouldn't send my boys to that school, and secondly, I would not go on the board of that school. Um, Totally makes sense. Yes, right. Um, And the benefit of that also is you learn from each other. So I take a lot of my business learnings to the school, and what I learn at the school, I take to the to the business. Mm-hmm. Again, it's learning. You're 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 cross fertilizing each other based on, and that's where where the the leap you from. Have a couple of examples. Well, I give an example of how the principle. Uh, motivates and rewards the teachers in their quarterly meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've used those ideas at Little Canada. Um, 
and vice versa in Canada we talk about um, the market and how you how we came to decide which location we were going to open Little mm -hmm. Canada and it was based on the P1 to P5 segmentation of the market in terms of our business location has to be in the same segment and that's why we picked young dundas square as an example yes i know what that is versus the distillery district mm -hmm. well i nice I, I shared that concept with the board and with the school the principal asked me to share that because it was a great learning moment for all the teachers to understand that their school where it fitted in that market because the schools schools are also a market parents mm -hmm. parents um they, sh they 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 do research okay which school do i want my kids to go to well that's the same thing so that's where it goes back and forth um so as i said i learned a lot from the school and put it into my business and um and vice versa um and the philanthropic activities is the same thing i mean uh, without the business experience and without our personal values um we could not add value to the philanthropic activities mm -hmm. yes me and jack were wondering whether your uh, christian faith also um teaches you lessons uh, for your business uh, oh absolutely i think if you look at all the values mm -hmm. again focused on people it's all yeah it's faith-based i mean I try to, personally, I try to um, conduct the business the way that Jesus would conduct business, right? So um, in my whole career, I've never, um, I don't just fire people for the, you know, oh, you're fired, like, you know, the apprentice with John, Donald Trump, uh, you're fired. <laughs> True. Um, no, that's not. No, um, I've helped work. I've helped people in the organization work themselves out of the organization into a new opportunity, which speaks better to them. Yeah. That's what we do, and that's yeah. and it's. I, yeah. There's a humane side of things. That's uh, that's what I that's what I hear in this. It's people. It's it, that that's what it's all about. People. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I want people to uh, enjoy the journey towards opening of our attraction. Mm -hmm. I want everyone to enjoy it. Um, I'm not going to push them so that they all burn out, and then by the time we open, great, we've opened and we've got it done. But then I've got dead bodies on the way. On, on, on the path towards it because we've been pushing them too hard and it's all money driven. No, mm -hmm. it's, it should be, yeah, I want, again, people. I want everybody yeah. to 
hey, we did it together. We all did it, and everybody's happy. And I think said that was a great journey and really enjoyed it. The journey is probably more important than the actual result. Yeah. Are there any more lessons? Um, I think as an entrepreneur, I think it's really important to have um, so a sounding board, mm -hmm. some people who you really trust. Uh, I've got three who I regularly am um, in contact with that I just talk to on a regular basis, share my thoughts, um, and their their role is really to listen. Yeah, and to um, ask questions. Right. If they keep telling you, "Well, this is the way I would do it. This is the way I would do," you know, then. Mm -hmm. You've got the wrong person. You need someone who will ask you questions and listens. And um, because what by asking questions, you know the answers to everything. You just don't mm -hmm. see it yet. But that's where these type of mentors can help. You come to a a view that maybe the way that they think you should do it, but mm -hmm. they, they lead you down that path. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that probably the final one of the yes. um, advice I would give entrepreneurs. Make sure you've got, you've got a couple of people who you can go to because it's lonely at the top and, and mm -hmm. there are days when you're down and you're mm -hmm. demoralized when you're it's 11.30. It makes a big difference if you can talk to someone. Yeah, because um, that could bring us to a, to a final question. Um, what would you say to um, a young entrepreneur who would nowadays start a business, uh, especially in the, in the times we live in now uh, with corona and all the uncertainty to go with it? What kind of um, general tip would you give to that person if... Um, that person would like to start a business without necessarily looking for jobs and would you have um, an advice to give out to that person um, if that person you know what kind of market that person could go into what kind of things would be interesting to, to look at um, would, you, would there be any advice coming from you I would say the only advice I would give is make is pick pick something you're, you're really really passionate about Mm -hmm. that's the only piece of advice I can give everything else uh, you can do market studies and think well this is a great industry to go into but if you don't like it you're not going it's to gonna work it's not going to work it's it, you, no, you, uh, it's it's much better to focus on something that where you really really like really passionate about get excited about where when you think about it your heart beats faster, where you dr continuously are thinking about it, dreaming about it. That's what happened to me with Little, with mm -hmm. Little Canada. Um, and it's not one day to the next, it grows over a period of time. In my case, it was like four months. And then the peak of that was when I went to Miniature Wonderland, because um, I was so much looking forward to going. Mm -hmm. um, and Probably the next question, well, how do I find what's, what I'm passionate about? It's just talk to people. 
talk to as right. many people as you like as you can just talk uh, different kind uh, of people uh, with different stories to tell doesn't matter um, yeah just um, I mean I talk to my priest um, and just I mean you walk away with, with and it's all part of again it's part of a puzzle right it's, it's a picture and you're just fitting all the pieces and you don't know what the picture looks like but at the end of the day at one point it becomes clear and then you say hey this is oh wow this is awesome yeah this is this is oh i like this this is yeah yeah um, and a priest is a good example because usually um if that is the priest you usually talk to that is normally a person who understands you and um is also trained to discover what is driving you as a person yeah i mean and, and so yeah so talk to as many people you know just yeah. network talk mm -hmm. and explore you know and ask ask uh and 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 uh, yeah, and try and get out of, now today it's quite a bit more difficult, but try not to just sit in front of a computer and try to find online. You're not going to find it. Mm -hmm. You have to go out and talk to people. Um, yeah. You know, um, and start with, with, with the things that you really like. I mean, if, you're, if you love cars, okay, mm -hmm. go, go, go to all the dealers and start talking to the salespeople. Just, just have a conversation. Just get, yep. yeah. And if if you say, oh, then this is not it, then then, then you drop it and you pick something else. Um, but just by talking and then and listening and yeah. All very inspiring. Um, I must say, I'm, I'm I'm really impressed with this talk okay. with all the advice we've received from you, uh, Jean Louis. Thank you so much for this conversation and for all the good advice. Well, you're very welcome, and I wish you uh, the very best with your podcasts. And um, thank you very much. Thank you. You're very welcome. You have a lovely day, and all the best to your family. You, you both, well, take uh, stay healthy. Uh, take yes. care. Mm -hmm. uh, keep your distance. You. That's what I. <laughs> yes. No problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank uh, you. Bye. Bye.